This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. Today, our hosts are Amy Newfield and Allison Gottlieb. Both are veterinary technician specialists in emergency and critical care. This episode is brought to you by Zoetis. Thank you, Allison, so much for doing this podcast with me. We titled it, He's Not Painful, talking to owners about osteoarthritis and gaining compliance. And, you know, we we titled it, He's Not Painful, because you hear that all the time. He's not painful. No, he's just limping. He's not painful. So how often do you hear that statement? Does it surprise you that you still hear clients saying it with such frequency? It it doesn't surprise me. I hear it much more often than I'd like to. Um, and and I'm optimistic that that one day we're going to hear maybe he's painful, uh, maybe he is feeling pain. Um, but they, there are a lot of roadblocks um, besides just misperception of of pain. Is that animals hide pain? They're still wild um, in in instinct, and it's their instinct not to show pain. So they don't want us to know they're in pain, which is the, the number one challenge for everybody involved in, in loving and living with animals. Um, so I'm not surprised. The, what is not surprising, but makes me optimistic is some of the real important data that's coming out about animals with osteoarthritis. Um, one of the studies from ACVS said that at least 25% um, of dogs have osteoarthritis. And I think those numbers are, are probably even higher um, due to under um, and unreported pain. It's also the number one cause of lameness in dogs. And when I think about all the, you know, limping dog triages I hear all day, that, that's a lot of dogs. Yeah, absolutely. And in 2000, another study that uh, Veterinary Practice News highlighted was that the prevalence of shoulder osteoarthritis in dogs. And at eight years of age, 57% of slender or normal weight dogs actually have some presence of shoulder OA. And 86% of overweight dogs had some shoulder osteoarthritis, which um, we definitely see more overweight dogs in our veterinary hospitals than the normal or slender weight dogs. I know that we have talked, you know, off of this podcast about our own experience with our own pets having osteoarthritis. Can you tell me a little bit about how osteoarthritis has affected, you know, pets in your life? Uh, Absolutely. I, um, I have, I'm drawn to three-legged dogs. It's a a thing I have. And, um, my last three-legged dog who lived to be 10, um, had her right forelimb amputated when she was four months of age due to a a growth deformity before I had gotten her. And she was never a graceful three-legged dog. Um, You could tell she was really working with that left forelimb. Um, The other thing about Marley is that she was incredibly um, anxious and intelligent um, and dominant. So her behavior really drove everything about her and it overrode any, any signs she would have shown of osteoarthritis. So when, when one day she began falling, we took x-rays and saw some significant degeneration of her joints. And at that point, um, being her personality, I did start her on Rimadyl um, or Carperfin 
which was life-changing for her. Um, all the other modalities that I would have loved to have done, like the underwater treadmill and physical therapy and acupuncture and massage, um, she would have never have tolerated. Uh, so it was really nice to, for me to have something um, that was so life-changing for her and, and remained to be for years. Um, she, she taught me a lot about really looking for it, um, even when you don't expect it. Uh, you, you have to really actually look for it with these guys. They don't want you to know. And, and your experience with, with your bright dogs? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always had herding breed dogs and um, I trail run with my dogs. I do agility with my dogs. So they're very active and they go everywhere with me. And one of my dogs at the age of seven started limping. And of course, when you're, you do agility and trail running, it goes right to a catastrophe. You just think, oh, I, I'm going to have to exercise restrictor for like three or four weeks. But I was shocked when I went in and decided, okay, sure, let's do some radiographs and found out she had severe osteoarthritis in both elbows. And uh, required surgery, a lot of rest, three surgeries later, a lot of acupuncture, uh, and hydrotherapy. And then unfortunately, the osteoarthritis progressed to her hind legs, where she eventually ended up even in a cart, um, still had could was mobile and could use them on long walks really did love her cart to still tootle down the trails at 100 miles an hour, uh, like she was the queen bee. So but yeah, I think it does affect them, you know, it affects them through, like you mentioned, anxiety, I do think my dog herself had some depression. She couldn't do the things that she normally done. And we also do see aggression, unfortunately, uh, that develops as a side effect for osteoarthritis. So what have you seen clients, um, you know, change their own behavior or how have you seen their, them change their own behavior or even the dog's lifestyle? Um, how's, how have clients communicated to you that their dog's lifestyle has been affected from osteoarthritis? You know, it's funny. I don't think they even realize it's happening because it is gradual, but you often hear that the, the walks they're taking are, are not quite as long um, or less frequent or not happening at all. Um, they're, they're not kind of having the dog jump in the back of the car and go run errands with them as much as they were before. Um, people are moving beds and sleeping downstairs if the dogs aren't moving upstairs. And, and they're, you know, thinking about things like slowing down, but also not really relating them to pain, which is, is kind of interesting, um, how, how they don't see the, the, the connection. Um, but you, you also have been in the field for a while as myself. And what kind of advances have you seen that, that give us hope? Yeah, absolutely. I love how we're both dinosaurs. And by definition, a dinosaur is anyone who has thrived in this industry for more than 20 years. And so <laughs> you and I have absolutely thrived. Uh, and we get to wear the badge of honor of being dinosaurs. But if we look back to when we started in veterinary medicine and to where we are today with advances of osteoarthritis, it is light years. We used to euthanize dogs. It was sad. It was actually a common reason for euthanasias. Uh, particularly in big dogs. I remember euthanizing golden retrievers and Rottweilers and 
um, Great Danes, a lot of Great Danes, because they simply couldn't walk and there were no medications. Acupuncture wasn't really a thing for dogs in these earlier years. And so clients didn't know what else to do. And when you had a big dog, you couldn't just carry them out. At some point, they became so immobile that unfortunately euthanasia was an option. Um, and then thankfully in the 90s, it came along the very first FDA approved NSAID and it was Rimadyl, which is also known as Carprofen. And honestly, it was like a miracle. Um, I don't know the last time I ever had to euthanize a dog over just arthritis. That's not a thing that we do in veterinary medicine now, but it was a thing that we very much did um, back then. Do you remember that when you when you were back in when you were a wee little veterinary technician? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's it would happen all of the time, and and the little dogs would just get picked up and carried around and and disregarded for their kind of pain. So it's it's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's been twenty over twenty years, which is hard to believe, um, since Rimadyl was launched. And since that time, obviously, we've had lots of things and other therapies that have come along. Uh, some of which I described, like acupuncture, hydrotherapy, physical therapy. And yet, clients are still missing the signs. They're still saying he's not painful. So, how can we help them understand what that they are seeing is actually signs of osteoarthritis? We have to just educate. Um, it's really the answer to a lot of things, but education and tools, um, we, they are so integral in recognizing OA pain and OA changes in their own pets that we really need them heavily involved. Um, teaching owners that, you know, the dog that's limping at home may not be limping in the clinic because of that um, FAS or, or fear, anxiety, and stress they may be seeing in the clinic. So that doesn't give us a good kind of gauge. Um, and other things like anxiety, subtle things that we're, we can't pick up. We need them involved. So I think educating them and giving them the tools that they need. Um, I love in my own personal life, um, I love a checklist. And there's a really great, comprehensive, yet quick and easy um, checklist, the Zoetis OA checklist online. And the other thing I I love about it is you can fill it out online and email it in and it really takes just minutes, um, but yet is vital to recognizing um, and addressing OA pain in dogs. Um, you can find it at zoetispetcare.com slash checklist slash osteoarthritis checklist. Um, but there's a lot of great information on zoetispetcare.com as well. So it's a, a, a really great resource to even just email these owners ahead of time. We know, you know, time is, is not on our side a lot. So having them have this information that they can fill out ahead of time really helps. Um, it, and I think it's important to just get that, that, that thought process going. Um, how do you have conversations about OA um, with owners, um, including tools that you use? How, how do you bring it up with them? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because for us, it seems so glaringly obvious. The dog is limping. It's very clear that they're painful. And yet the owner's in denial saying he's not painful. So from a veterinary perspective, we have to recognize that, as you said earlier, this is a chronic process. Osteoarthritis does not occur overnight. 
And while the limping, you know, seems like it has occurred overnight, it's probably subtly started over days, weeks, months, or even a year. And whenever something slowly happens, people aren't the most astute in picking it up. So from an owner's perspective, it does look like it happened overnight. But what they didn't see is it's been months of muscle wasting. What they didn't see is that their dog has been hesitating going up the stairs or pausing just for a couple seconds to jump in the car or what they are now, you know, seeing now is that, okay, yes, he's getting up, but he's slowly getting up and there might be some creaking and owners tend to not recognize those more subtle signs. And so for us, when we're like, what do you mean? He's not painful. We have to respectfully remember that from the owner's perspective, it was so gradual. They didn't see it. And so when we have these conversations with owners, one of the things that I always say to owners to try to get them to understand that, yeah, he or she is definitely painful, is I say, think about what happens when you stub your toe and do you walk normally? The answer is always no. I'm going to walk with a little bit of a limp. Yes, correct. So if the dog is limping in any capacity, it is painful. That is, there's no question to it. So I think trying to get them to understand that what we are seeing is actually pain and why it is pain. And when you bring it back around to that original, like, think about what happens if you hurt your knee or hurt your leg, would you be walking with a limp? Yeah, probably. And you would be walking with a limp. Why? Because pain. Um, this is what's happening in their dog. So that's one way to kind of just humanize it so they can understand from the dog's perspective. And then I, you know, certainly again, those checklists, those tools, uh, the Zoetis Pet Care, if you haven't checked it out, that osteoarthritis checklist has all the things I just talked about. One of the big ones that owners miss is lagging behind on walks. And so when they look at these, these might be these little tools for them to say, oh, you know what? You're right. He used to be walking in front, but now he's walking behind. I thought he was just slowing down because of age. And age, you know, is just a number. Osteoarthritis is a disease process. And so we can do something about that. So why is it important for you to have a conversation with owners about osteoarthritis? Well, it all comes down to quality of life um, and, and dogs living their best lives. Um, there, there's a veterinary ethicist named Dr. Bernard Rollins out of Colorado State that, that um, wrote a, a really profound, well, he's written a lot of profound things, but, but one of the things he wrote, it, it was about cats, but it applies to both. Um, it's that they're not looking for their grandchildren to graduate from college or, or to see their great-grandchildren being born. They, they live in the moment. Um, they're not looking for longevity. They, they are looking for being really happy. And I think that's important um, to think about every day. And when you think about that, osteoarthritis counter, counter, you know, pain, um, is the exact opposite of that, of living in the moment. So when I think of osteoarthritis pain, I, I just automatically think of quality of life and, and things like, you know, stiff or slowing down, or he's just stubborn. Um, that, that makes me think, is this dog painful? And I, uh, and is his quality of life suffering? Um, so that's, you know, kind of where my brain goes when, when I um, think about having these conversations with pet owners, especially, you know, again, we're short on time, maybe they're not the greatest to, to spend a lot of time with. Um, I, I just think about that quality of life. Um, 
what, what else do you think we can do uh, as professionals to help these guys and to help them have their best quality of life? Yeah, from the moment we get them in our hospital, we can really start making sure that we give this animal a really great experience. I mean, let's face it, you and I went into this veterinary profession because we really resonate with animals and we love animals. I'll admit it more than people. And that's why a lot of us went into this industry. Um, I have no shame in saying that, but they don't love us back. And so it is hard because they don't, they come into the veterinary hospital scared and they're worried. And so when we look at it from the dog's perspective, they're sore, they're painful, their owner has brought them here. And now we've got these hard floors, laminate or tile floors. We've got cold metal tables. And I always say to people, you wouldn't want your grandmother sleeping on concrete. So we need to think about that same mindset when we are thinking about our arthritic, uh, osteoarthritic dogs that we're dealing with. Think about doing the exams on the floor, particularly if they're big dogs. When you pick them up, they develop arthritis in their sternum. They may have spinal arthritis. So we don't want to move them around on top of a, you know, to get them up to a table just because it's what's better for us. We need to think about what's better for them. Think about comfy beds or, you know, yoga mats or towels on the floor. And then for our small dogs, we shouldn't just put them on cold, hard metal tables or slippery when they've got, you know, osteoarthritis in the elbows or in the shoulders or in the hips. Think about, again, those yoga mats, those comfy beds. Um, we want to reduce their anxiety and their stress because they're already going to be anxious and stressful. So think about positioning aids like towels to help them get up and down. Uh, if their owners do come in with harnesses, consider asking that owner, can you just leave the harness on him? I know we always give everything back to the owner, but if it's a harness or a positioning aid that's going to help us, that really is going to be a, key, a nice thing for that particular dog. And then Remember that as veterinary technicians, we spend more time with the patients, so we will notice subtle signs. Sometimes when we have animals admitted into the hospital, let's just say he or she came in for vomiting and diarrhea and needed to stay for the day because we're busy, we can't just get them in and out the door. Uh, they've been sitting and laying down in their cage for two hours and we open up the dog run, we have them come out and we notice they're stiff and getting up and now they're actually limping a little bit. This is our job as veterinary technicians to communicate this to our veterinarian counterparts. A lot of times owners, like I had mentioned before, they don't notice these subtle signs because they, they have seen it and they just kind of get used to it because it occurs so slowly. But then when we say to the owner, hey, have you noticed that he's limping a little bit? Actually, I have. Well, okay, we're going to radiology anyway for vomiting and diarrhea. Do you mind if we actually take some pictures of elbows and maybe some hips? Um, yeah, might as well. You're in there anyway, right? So uh, we can actually go ahead and even get a diagnosis a lot earlier in some of these things. So we want to also think about treating the pain. Whenever we're doing procedures to these animals, think about it from their perspective. You know, pain medications are a great way to help reduce the anxiety, reduce the fear, and also alleviate the pain. So when we go in for say hip films think about pulling back on those hips this is already uncomfortable they're they're in a weird room it's dark and scary and they don't know you um yeah maybe pain medications are going to be necessary and this is where veterinary technicians can advocate for those veterinary patients and so where do we go from here allison what do we you know, what do our veterinary colleagues need to do 
we need to continue to be advocates for our patients. Like you just so eloquently said, we are spending more time with them and we do need to advocate for them because, you know, the GI stuff goes away in 24 to 48 hours, but that longstanding pain that you as a technician picked up and, and brought to somebody's attention um, is life-changing and, and is important for quality of life. Um, I think it's really important to, to have owners fill out that checklist. All owners, this is not just a big dog problem. This is not just an old dog problem. And they, like I said, they can do it at home online, but it brings up that conversation and it lets them know what they are looking for, the emotional and the physical changes that they are looking for. And then the other thing that I love to, to always recommend is an osteoarthritis support group in your practice. Um, there is someone in the practice who is passionate about osteoarthritis like Amy and I, and, 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 you know, understand that this is something that owners have to deal with for, on a chronic basis and they need a lot of support and they can give each other information and support each other as well. So there will be somebody who will take this up and, and really run with it and, and get a lot out of it and provide a lot of pain relief for a lot of animals. It, it's really good for the entire team, um, not just that particular pet. Um, so, Amy, is there anything that we need to do when prescribing Rimadyl or other NSAIDs that we may be using? Yeah, <laughs> the biggest thing is to really make sure that before we start any NSAIDs, we really want to make sure the pet doesn't have any other pre-existing conditions like renal disease. And so typically it's recommended that we go ahead and do a CBC and chemistry to make sure it's just okay to give any type of medication at all. And then many owners think, well, you can just give it here or there. You know, if I see him limping, I can give it um, when I see him limping. But with Rimadyl, it can be prescribed as either once or twice a day. Once you go over the dosing instructions based on the veterinarian's recommendations, you want to really remind the owner that this is a progressive chronic disease. This is not going to go away. And so withholding pain medication, unfortunately, is going to just result in them being more painful. You know, my own dog that I described who had really horrible osteoarthritis develop at the age of seven she needed to be on medication her whole life. It wasn't, you know, one and done. She needed management for her whole life. And that's what we need to communicate to these owners. Um, in order to control the pain, a lot of studies have shown that just daily administration over several months provides the best response. And so um, owners usually see improvement within the first 48 hours, but it really might take a full week. And so communicating to the owners that they need to be prepared to give it continuously. Be patient. You might not notice it right away. Let's just see how we do. And then we can figure out what is more appropriate, you know, uh, treatment options if this isn't cutting it. Remember with modern technology um, and science, we have hydrotherapy, physical therapy, acupuncture. I mean, the sky's the limit when it comes to uh, uh, really dealing with these dogs. And then we also stress that the NSAID class may be associated with gastrointestinal kidney and liver side effects. And so while these side effects are mild, they could end up being serious. So make sure you tell pet owners to look out for things like vomiting and diarrhea, or even if they stop eating, you know, the dog that I was talking about, I always said, 
if she misses one meal, there's a major problem because she loved food so much. And so for pet owners, they know their dogs best. And if they're not eating and they're normally like voracious eaters, like mine usually are, uh, tell them to please call immediately, just discontinue and give us a call and we'll figure it out. And lastly, don't combine NSAIDs. Um, don't use multiple NSAIDs. Owners get creative where they get advice from their friends or their family and say, oh, if you also add in, that's a no. And also we need to remember that NSAIDs of any kind cannot be used in conjunction with steroids. That's also a no. To always point pet owners to just Zoetis Pet Care. And um, if they look under the products tab, they can find a lot of information on Rimadil there so that they can go ahead and uh, become a little bit more educated on not only the class of drug up, but also the drug that they're giving to their pet. But really it's been amazing just seeing the change in veterinary medicine him um, in the 20 years that we have been doing this. And I am so grateful for all the advanced science and technology that allowed my dog to keep on going in a mobile cart um, and still being happy on her trails. And she lived to almost 16. So um, we have to absolutely have these hard conversations with owners so that they can hopefully realize that he's not limping or he's not painful really is Yes, he is actually painful. Well, thank you, Allison, so much for doing this podcast with me. It's always a pleasure to have you and just talk to you. Um, and I thank you. And hopefully we'll get to do another one in the future together. Thank you. Absolutely. Looking forward. Thank you to Amy Newfield and Allison Gottlieb. This Fear Free podcast was brought to you by Zoetis. If you are already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings Access new toolbox items and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you are not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you are a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you are a pet owner who has stumbled upon this podcast, learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com.